Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast. As promised by uh, Alfie and I, um, earlier in the week we would be back. Alfie has uh, sort of failed to keep that promise himself. He himself is not back, but I am here. So it's it's kind of a rogue Rob Worthington hosting session on, on the Arsenal Cannon Podcast. You don't see it particularly frequently. I think in a, in a in a normal world we would just call this one a extra canon podcast, but as we alluded to on on the last show, we're in that sort of crunch period of trying to iron out the podcast, get them get them all out the Arsenal Canon podcast, so we can get to that elusive big number for the for the drunk cast, and that's two hundred because this is this is one nine three, so we've got seven podcasts to get through, um, or six until that drunk cast. So. Um, Usually what we'll do from here is we'll power through the next six, then realise that we've got no dates that all four of us are free until like mid-July. So you have no Arsenal kind of podcast and just extra kind of podcast. So yeah, look forward to a bit of that. Um, but um, without further ado, we've got a bloody brilliant football match to talk about. Um, we're, we're, we're recording on Thursday night, so... Um, we've got a bit more context from sort of the other fixtures now, but I, I was desperate just to get recording last night. Unfortunately, no one else was um, available. But yeah, just utter elation. Another one of these uh, late winners. And yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. But um, first, I will introduce my co-host for the day. It is an Extra Canon podcast special on the, on the main show today. I'm joined by Matt Johnson, a very jet-lagged Matt Johnson, who's sort of been dashing around the globe. Uh, unfortunately, our path didn't cross when he was this side of the pond, but um, he is he is back home now after a hectic week. How, how are we doing, Matt? I'm I'm uh, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm having a good time. A little sleepy, a little hungry, but yeah, I've just returned from a week up north of you, Roberto, in in beautiful Scotland, um, where it there are approximately seven hours of sunlight a day. Uh, and it rains most of the time. So honestly, I couldn't have asked. Lovely. Anymore. No, it's beautiful. Uh, split my time between St. Andrews and Edinburgh. For those who are longtime listeners, you may remember about a three and a half month stretch where I was recording from Scotland. I did do a semester of my American uni in Scotland and went back to visit a few friends with a few of my American mates in tow. But enough of that. Uh, on the last night of my wonderful stay, I got to witness one of the most stressful football matches I've ever watched. It's, it's been a while. Um, there's a, a video that I circulated in the chat that one of my mates took of me, of me legitimately like on the couch shirtless. I had thrown my shirt uh, in, in exultation, Rob. Um, I was, my head was hot. I was so stressed out. I had a migraine. I was cooling it off with pints. Nothing worked. Um, but end of the day, mate, I am overjoyed uh, at the result and maybe not of the nature of the result, but I'm sure we're going to, well, it's a final goal of, to end all final goals with that said, we probably shouldn't have dropped three to Luton. I think we're going to unpack it all. I'm excited to get into it. Uh, yeah, man, just good to be here and it's good to be home. I'm recording from home, so. Yeah, um, I think it's it is always good. Yeah, good to have you on, and it, um, but it is always good. Even though I would have loved the instant reaction pod yesterday, it's always good to give you that that twenty four hours ish for to contextualize, context, contextualize. I can't speak, and and even 
you know, if you can't give 24 hours, just a, a good night's sleep on it and then a bit of social media reaction so you can digest everything a bit more. And for that reason, we, we can probably give you a, a bit more of an insightful podcast today than I would have been able to give you last night where I just would have been sort of saying Declan Rice nonstop and being very giddy about Declan Rice of uh, uh, very soon after after the final whistle blew, I, I texted my two uh, West Ham friends. I've only got two of them, uh, but both got a thank you for Declan Rice, kiss, kiss, and neither replied. So uh, I, think, I think that's all that you... Brilliant, yeah. <laughs> I think that's all you need to take from that one. Um, but yeah, um, let's just let's just attack it with uh, with the normal structure today. I, I think that's the best way to do it. Last, last podcast, Alfie and I did start with an explosive moment, but... I think it's probably best to end it with that one today. May may have been better to start with it if we didn't get that that late winner, but because there were some some quite almightily explosive moments that happened earlier in the game at our own end. But before we we talk about that, which I I I, I imagine will take up quite a large part of this podcast today, um, let's talk about some of the good stuff on the night because. There, there was quite a bit of it, and I'll give you the opportunity to go first. But um, yeah, there was, there were some really nice things going on. A few nice continuations of, of things we we saw from the weekend, and offensively, it's about as good as we've been this season. Yeah, Rob. I where do I start with my good stuff? Because there is in a relatively up and down match, so much. You know, the nature of a roller coaster is it does have highs as well as lows, and I think one of those highs for me was uh, something of a of a mini remontada for Martin Odegaard. Um, in the past few months, he's been struggling with injury, struggling to kind of piece things together. And even in his return to the side, I think we were asking questions, asking for a lot of productivity from our eights, asking for more creativity, more link-up play, more impetus. You know, I think... As a podcast, we've already talked over Odegaard dropping a little bit deeper and kind of his different tactical role that he's been assuming in the last couple of matches. But I just wanted to highlight something that I haven't really seen from him in that multiple times, and of course, we'll talk about the end of the match towards the end of this show, but multiple times throughout the match, he seemed to kind of, you know, make a decision like, right, I'm going to take control. I'm going to be the one facilitating play, stepping up, linking things around. Uh, he tried a lot of very ambitious passes, um, about 90% of which came off. There was one late on that I was you know, bemoaning him for when he took it on the turn and had uh, Trussard and Havertz kind of streaking up the left side and instead chose to play a sneaky reverse ball for Jesus that went right to the feet of a Luton player. Um but honestly, in a moment, you know, in a, in a match full of magic for Odegaard, that was maybe my one moment of he should have done something else because I he was flawless. Really, for me, he was. I think so many moments in that match, he was the anchor point of whether it's an amazing counter or just of good possession. He was more flexible than we've seen him in a while, dropping deep, dropping wide, and even advancing past the attacking line when necessary. Um it's one of the rare moments in what has been a very good goal-scoring season for Martin Ogre, but less of a creative one, where his ambition kind of matched his adhesion. 
um, to use to to bring a little bit of F one terminology into it because you know I love my F one. Uh, yeah, I just I I don't have you know it, endless good things to say really about his performance. I thought he was back to his best at a time when we really. I think are going to need it. The Christmas run is always big. We've got some tough fixtures coming up and just seeing Martin Odegaard really free flowing was a joy. It was captivating. Yeah. He, he's woken up, hasn't he? He's, um, he's, he's been listening to the Arsenal Cannon podcast. He's heard our Cannon concerns about needing more from our eights. And, and the same can be said for our other eight. And I, I'll, I'll bring him into the conversation in a second. Once I've, once I've spoken about, Erdegaard, but yeah, I think it's funny because this this project project sort of I think we all started to get excited about it when when we saw these combinations on the right hand side and we see Erdegaard and Saka just developing this this tele uh, like telepathic relationship between each other and it it's funny we're at a stage now where actually what we needed to do was. They have come so far in their development. We needed to stop having them stepping on each other's toes, operating in the same areas. And it seems to have really liberated both of them. I think Saka's also playing the best football he's been playing all season. He just looks so, so confident, electric on the ball. And Erdegaard's been taken away from that advanced right-hand side position, just being given sort of free reign across perhaps a, 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 like a little bit deeper, but he's still like, well, his creative numbers have gone way up, which is, you know, perhaps not what you would expect and maybe not sustainable, but, um, you know, it's it's nice that he's still being able to contribute so much in the sort of final third as as, as well as when he drops in uh, even deeper than that. Um, but yeah, just just giving these two players the freedom of their their own sort of areas of the pitch but they're both good enough to do that and it's just liberated Martin Odegaard and and given him the opportunity to 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 really take control and it's exactly what we needed from him um I I mean I think the, the last 10 minutes was as good as we've seen of Odegaard since you know, he, he had moments last winter as well when he was absolutely purring. Um, but yeah, it was about as good as we've seen of him since then. He was just out of this world. Um, so yeah, uh, just just a fantastic display from the skipper and Saka, who yeah definitely falls into the good stuff category as well. Him picking up some form. I'm gonna go for mine now, and uh, I'm sure Mac Johnson will be jumping on this train as well and. And it's nice that um, you know, this this doesn't give him anywhere near enough credit. But we we spoke about Havertz at the start of the season, and we were putting out little good things he was doing. And Alfie made the point, and I think he got it from a Arsenal Vision podcast comment, and he said that when you're watching a sixty-five million pound signing, you shouldn't have to squint to see the good stuff. With Kai Havertz, you don't have to squint anymore. You just you just see it. He has he has really picked up his game, and I think a bit of the good stuff has to be a credit to Mikel Arteta. He's worked out this this the problems in the in the in the fluidity of the attack. He's brought Martin Odegaard a bit deeper, given him uh, authority in the middle of the park, and in doing that, he's been able to move. Um, Kai Havertz further forward I think 
basically start of the season, I, I don't think Arteta wanted to lose from Erdegaard all the good stuff he was doing in that sort of second striker role. So he, he kept him in it and kept the dynamics the same and sort of just plugged Havertz into that Shaka role and was never going to work. And now we've got Havertz playing as a second striker just off Jesus and those two, by the way. I, I think that if I was going to bring about a more sophisticated good stuff, it would be the relationship developing between those two because... Yeah, it's it's really exciting the way they're combining, not just for the goal, but the the positions that that Havertz is able to pick up in the box, which drags defenders away and makes room for Jesus. Yeah, it, it's exciting, and it showed for the two early goal, the the first two goals that we got. It was all of Havertz's making and dragging the defenders away, but also just the the optimism he showed on the ball, the the ability to or the, the desire to carry it forward, the confidence to carry it forward, the confidence to try more difficult things on the ball, things that he just wouldn't have done uh, a few weeks ago. It's it's really refreshing to see him doing it. Would have loved it if he scored that header to win it, um, but it's, it's good just to see him on the score sheet again. He's getting into problematic areas. He's causing defenders' headaches. It's exactly why we signed him, and... Um, it's, I watched the game with my sister and we, we both said it's just more of a relief than anything that it's just working now because I think we were all getting a bit nervous about it. Yeah. Um, where to start with this? I, you know, you know my thoughts. You being both Rob Worthington and you, all of you loyal Arsenal Cannon podcast listeners, you know my thoughts on Kai Havertz. Um the prince who is promised some have called him mainly me. Uh because I've loved this boy since he was, you know, 18 at Leverkusen and every time this topic comes around it always gets turned to me to wax lyrical when he does well and to defend him when he does poorly. And finally I I can do that without trying. Um because last night's performance much like my the the soliloquy that I'm about to deliver, word of the day, uh, about Kai Havertz will be effortless. Not to say that he didn't put effort in, but this is the Kai Havertz that Mikel Arteta, in my mind, saw, is somebody who can ghost into central spaces, can overlap with almost every player on the pitch, can pin defenders, draw players out of position, but who also has this amazing work rate and charge and you know never say die attitude i there was for a player who has kind of been compared to another famous arsenal german not calling him famous for arsenal yet but to mesodozo for his slightly more languid style and occasionally lackadaisical kind of posture he played with so much fire last night so much anger so much determination um and to see him channel that was wonderful to see him really fight for the team was wonderful. Uh, I think the the biggest, you know, standout for me was how consistently he got himself into important areas, into good places. And, you know, if you note the goal he scored, it's in almost, it's a near carbon copy of the one that he scored against Lons, uh in the Champions League with, you know, a slightly cleaner finish. But I think my overall thoughts, um, I want to direct you guys to a a little Twitter thread published last week by Billy Carpenter, who's a wonderful Arsenal fan. I think it's Billy Carps or Billy Carpy on on Twitter, uh, not X. And it was kind of talking about this little phenomenon that he 
has coined called the Havertz Hitch, which is this little it, it's a it's a movement that Havertz does when he will start to make a good run, you know, be in a good space. His natural instincts for where to be on the pitch are second to very few. But he'll get into an amazing spot and he'll hesitate. And kind of as soon as he had that moment to think, he'll lose confidence. He'll, you know, come up with a fluffed finish. So much of what we were bemoaning him for, the missed headers, the missed chances at the back post, the lack of cutting edge. Um, I think we were putting it down to confidence, but maybe we weren't sure there were questions. And I think those questions, especially on the confidence scale, have been answered because there is no hitch in his stride. He is playing at full gallop at the moment. Um, really, it was just, it was, I don't want to say expected because I did not expect a Kai Havertz masterclass in this one. I thought he was well-suited. But this is what I expected him to be able to become for this team. This is, you know, ultimately when I saw that he would sign for our team, this performances like his against Luton were my dream scenario. And if he's able to find those as consistently as he has in the last few weeks, then his signing will be more than justified. I mean, you know, there's, there's uh, so much is said in, this, in the football world about value for money and what that means for players and how they live up to that price tag. And I, th- I have an inkling that if this type of form continues... The price tag is not going to be a part of the narrative around Kai Havertz for much longer. Yeah, it's always nice when um, when it gets to that stage as well. And it's funny that the guy who cost a hell of a lot more, we, we, we've already surpassed that weeks ago, the, the, the talk about price tag. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about Declan Rice a little bit later on. But I am delighted that the, the Havertz plan is materialising. I'm, I'm somewhat surprised about how quickly he's managed to to really turn it on um i mean you know you say that uh that it wasn't all about just getting a goal but it, it's funny it it was it was that goal that that was was huge for him and you know he he, he wasn't necessarily startling in the following game against uh Lons in the in the champions league but as you say scored a, a pretty scruffy goal but I think I think for the first time um, at Luton, he he was pretty startling. Uh, some of the the driving with the ball at his feet, the the deci- the decisiveness, the the box presence. I think that's that's the main thing for me. Um, yeah, it, it's it's nice. I think we, we all knew that if Kai Havertz was going to work in this sort of left eight area. Um, he was always going to change the Arsenal team. He was always going to change the, the way we looked a little bit. And and he has now. <laughs> and it's it's really exciting the way it is. And I'm glad that um, Arteta, whether it's, you know, by design or just by stumbling upon something a, a little bit different, I, I don't really care. But I'm sure it is meticulously planned knowing Arteta. Um yeah, I'm I'm delighted, and it, it's it's doubly good because it's getting more out of Martin Erdegaard. And I think to sum up, um, the good stuff has to be that we're we're getting more out of our eights because that's something that we've been talking about all season as something that's that's been concerning us. Um, speaking of concerns, let's move on to our canon concerns. I think um, there's a little bit of an elephant in this room of of um, 
lyrical waxing that we're that we're doing right now and that's the fact that Arsenal Football Club uh conceded three goals away at Luton uh last night and this isn't the Arsenal of sort of soft underbelly Arsenal who um you know were, were prone to being turned over by a physical side this is an Arsenal who have conceded the least not least amount of goals in the Premier League this season now tied uh least with Liverpool because we we've managed to scupper our record a little bit and um you know it's it's easier to well it is funny because if Luton carved us open a, a few um a few times and managed to, you know, really tear us apart. I would be more concerned speaking on this podcast, but I think for that reason, I'm, I'm more frustrated than anything. Um, and I'll give you the chance to talk about it first because I've got my own sort of feelings about it. But um, yeah, this, there's no escaping the fact that this conversation is going to revolve around the goalkeeper because he had his worst performance in an Arsenal shirt um, last night. Yeah. Um, in fact, I would I will go so far as to say the worst performance from any Arsenal keeper in quite a while. Um, typically, we limit ourselves to one howler per keeper performance. Rarely is it two. Um, okay. Here's where I'm going to start with this. I'm going to start away from the goalkeeper. Um, and I want to talk about the the nature of the goals to an extent. Um Luton are and have actually been a pretty difficult side to play at home. They are very talented in wide areas. They play a pretty traditional brand of English football in terms of they enjoy using their fullbacks and wingers as wide pulls, chalk on the boots, big crossers into big forwards, scruffy finishes, scrappy goals, physical play. Um, There was a lot that was unexpected about last night. I think... We weren't necessarily expecting Ross Barkley to play like he was a 21-year-old at Everton again. Um, that was a shock. I don't think we were necessarily expecting to face the level of intensity that Luton brought. We dominated the match pretty thoroughly, I think, for the first about 10 minutes, maybe 15. But as Luton kind of gained confidence and were able to disrupt us a little bit more, I they you know, really started to chip in to the arrogance that we were playing with last night. Um, I think there's been a few fixtures, in fact, where, and, you know, the 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 last-minute goal, I say last-minute goal, the kind of, the get-back goal uh, this past weekend is another good example of it, in that we do sometimes fall asleep a little, still. Um, you know, we are not the arsenal of 80% possession, losing 3-0 to Crystal Palace. Those days are very much gone, and that match still lives rent-free in my head. But... It's not, you know, it's very evident that all three of their goals came from very similar situations. Crosses, scrums in the box, a lot of bodies kind of charging into the center. Of course, two of those were headers. Uh, one of those was the Ross Barkley goal that I think is in part generated by Luton just having a lot of big bodies in the center that kind of allows him to, you know, worm around the side and space not necessarily ordinarily afforded him. Um, and I think on that, Note, I just do want to express one canning concern about when Ben White is out of position, our right side can look a little defensively deficient with Odegaard and Saka sometimes. Uh, yeah, his yeah. wide defending uh, 
leaves a bit to be good yeah and i think i think it was i genuinely think it was fine this time last year i think he's got worse at it i think he's been less of it frankly yeah yeah but i think i basically think he's been freaked the fuck out by marcus rashford and ever since then he he hasn't he hasn't quite been the same Yeah, and I mean, I think Diogo Jota might also want to take a little slice of that credit. I think it might have been two seasons back, the absolute horrors he put Ben White under in that match. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, nature of the goal, it's scrappy, it's scruffy. The header for the first one, David Raya can do nothing. Um, and let's get on to keepers, Rob, because for the second two, for the second and third goals, I should say, uh, there is definitely more that David Raya could do. Um I don't know. I, I think I almost want to start with the third goal just because it's the more clear cut. Um, it's a chance where it takes a tiny deflection off of somebody's toe. I think it actually, again, may have been Ben White, could have been Saliba. It's one of our right sided defenders. Um, takes a tiny deflection. That deflection should not be enough that David Raya dives over the ball. Um, the ball, in fact, goes exactly where his standing leg was about a half a second before he dives. It's really sloppy, really just lazy goalkeeping. And I think it's contributed to by he has not looked terribly comfortable facing a high volume of shots. I do honestly think in away atmospheres against really physical teams, he struggles a bit. He And I think there's something to be said for the fact that we as a fan base have not necessarily backed him universally. This is a discussion we've been having for months now and I think we'll continue to have. But as good as he was on the ball, he did not make a single error there. His box presence was all over the place last night. And it's, it's, we've, he's been on a slight downward slope for a little bit for me. He was pretty lights out. You know, that save against Tottenham still rings in the memory. But he's kind of been on a slight shot-stopping slide recently as he's just had less and less to do in recent matches. And I think this match really highlighted for me that even though he has improved our team and the way that we play and the way that we are able to play, that he's still a little short on the confidence he needs to truly reach the pinnacle of what he's capable of. Yeah, this is clearly a guy who's letting the voices get in his head a little bit. I think he doesn't let that goal in if he hasn't made a huge blunder 10 minutes before. It's, It's just... It's it's not goalkeeping that, that you see David Raya doing. Um, you know, you, you look at his shot-stopping stats last year uh, with Brentford, and he's a good shot-stopper. Uh, he's 100% an upgrade on Aaron Ramsdale shot-stopping-wise. And that that third goal, I'd like to think, is, is freak, but I think it is also uh, a symptom of this just completely unnecessary situation we've got going on back there. And a a situation that I'm not going to say we created, I'm going to say that Mikel Arteta created, because no one was really calling for Aaron Ramsdale's head. Arteta and the club saw a market opportunity with Raya on the market, they saw an upgrade, and they went for it. But... Ramsdale 
you know, he made mistakes last year, but he didn't do anything. No one walked away from the season being like, oh, we have to upgrade on Aaron Ramsdale this summer. He's a massive problem. So you've still got this hugely lights figure sitting on the bench. You know, I'm not going to retell the story. You all know it. Um, and I think it would be naive for all of us to think that all of that isn't still running through David Ryer's mind, even though, you know, Ramsdale himself had a bit of a, a stinker at Brentford the other week, and I'm sure in Raya's mind that that maybe I'm not sure it would have comforted him, but it would have been like, yeah, my spot's uh, pretty secure right now. A, a little um, more stable, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Ramsdale's been saying things in the media. The the sort of so the I I've definitely noticed the social media attitude towards Aaron Ramsdale is change the perception i think when he lost his spot it was almost universal sympathy whereas now it's a bit like he's doing all this chat talking in in the media and, and raya's been pretty good like the the mistakes with his feet seem to have gone and you can see when we win the sort of stabilizing effect that he's able to have on the team but yeah, the the last night was uh, an explosion of just something that's been underlying for a while, and I I personally just don't think this goes away until Aaron Ramsdale leaves the club. You 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 can't have that that sort of skeleton in the cupboard, if you like, just lingering there in the background. The 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 and he will know in his mind you know what he's thinking you know what i i hope he's not thinking but there's a huge possibility that he's thinking as soon as he fails to claim that cross which for a goalkeeper of his size can happen it's really really annoying but it can happen and it genuinely is, is something that he's very good at generally so i'm not going to batter him too hard for it but it, 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 it obviously it's annoying but i think as soon as he makes that mistake it's going to be like uh, and the, the, there were also reports in the week saying, "Oh, Arsenal want to keep Ramsdale in case that you know there's a significant dip in Raya's form." Knowing that there's a, an established England international, an established Premier League number one, who has taken a team a long way in a title charge, just waiting in the wings as soon as you make an error. I don't think it's 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 a recipe for success. And I've seen people talk about Ortega and Edison at City, but. It's ever so different, I think now with just just because Ramsdale has been our number one and and because he's English, the media love him. It's 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 not a good cocktail back there, and it's all Mikel Arteta's doing. I think we genuinely, I don't think any of us want to say it out loud, but we we've got to keep a problem back there. Yeah. Um... The three goals we shipped, you know, have have now put us on par with Liverpool for the league's best defense. It's also notable that we do lead the league currently in errors leading to goal, as well as we have it, the, both the league's highest. So awesome, isn't it? So the the awesome. highest percentage of errors leading to goal, and the league's best defense in terms of goals conceded and expected goals, uh, which is a conundrum, and. I think it shows us what we've been seeing all season. It shows us that our team is good when they are confident. That's the simplest statement I have. 
if you are able to have the best defense in the league and simultaneously concede the most errors, it means a majority of your goals are coming down to individual mistakes. It is not a team composition thing. It is not a tactical thing. You know, there's that and, one. Uh, and usually when it's, when it's your goalkeeper making those mistakes, it's going to be a, a tad uh, more exactly. impactful. <laughs> like there's that, there was a, a controversy last night surrounding the expected goals numbers. I hate when expected goals is used this way. But it's like, oh, Luton have scored three from 0.2 expected goals. Absolutely, they haven't done that. They've not. They had close to one expected goal. But then I looked at the numbers, and about half of that 0.8 something expected goals is, uh, is was it Osho or was it um, Adrabio's header? Yeah, yeah, Ad Adrabio's header was the one that you know had like it was like a 0.01 xG chance until Raya flaps at the cross, and it becomes about a 0.5 xG chance because it's an open net for the best header of the ball on that team, and. It's an inexcusable error um, in any situation. The fact that we've won the match is the only reason that it doesn't look as bad as it was. If that ends in a draw, David Raya's position, in my mind, should be more under fire than it will be because we've won the match. Um, and I say this, you know, just like, here's the thing. Ramsdale might be out of form, might be out of confidence, but if we end up drawing that match 3-3 and it's almost entirely down to David Raya, I would not blame Arteta for starting Ramsdale against Villa. But I also, in no world, believe he ever would, and that no, he, he wouldn't. The most, it's it's the most kind of I don't want to say depressing, but it's the starkest reality of this entire situation. Right? Is that Raya essentially has led to two mistakes that have led to an almost loss, and regardless, or sorry, an almost draw that would have felt like a loss because it's Luton Town, and he would have maintained his place, kind of no matter what. And that, that, I think, of all of the situations is where I do have a little bit of pity for Aaron Ramsdale in terms of he has been so unequivocally removed that even in a match where if he had had a performance like this last season, and I will be candid in that I cannot remember a performance that Ramsdale had last season that was as poor as Ryan's display against Luton, that we would have been all over him, you know? It's sharks in the water with him. And David Raya seems to have a little bit of invincibility for Arteta that I think Ramsdale just has never been, not say has never been afforded because he did to Leno what Raya is doing to him. But in terms of the narrative around it, I don't know. It's It, it feels like there is a, a double standard at play that I can't quite put my finger on. Um, but but, and, but yeah. this is the problem with, with creating this environment in Go. Exactly. That... When we see Ramsdale come in, whether it be because um, Raya's cup tied or because we're playing in a cup competition, Ramsdale's also about there shitting his pants because he knows he's, or uh, not necessarily even shitting his pants, but trying things that he shouldn't be trying because he wants to impress as much as he can. Yeah, it's just not, um, it's not a nice recipe uh, that, that we've got going on back there. And, yeah, I just, I just hope that um, it's not, it's not getting in Raya's head too much. But I think based on the evidence of last night, uh, as much as as we'd like to think this is, um, you know, a, a non-issue and that Raya is just taking full uh, sort of, uh, he's taking his credit from Arteta. He, he's he believes in himself because Arteta believes in him. It's 
I think when there's this much noise on the outside, it, it's it's difficult not to listen to it. And uh, yeah, he needs a, a strong performance at, at Villa Park this weekend more than most. Um, and if if there isn't, uh, I think a strong performance from him. If more mistakes do follow and Arteta continues not to budge, yeah, this this could get could get messy. And I do want to just say my final verdict on the whole thing is that Please. I I see now um, why an upgrade on Ramsdale was needed um, or why it could have been useful. I just think the upgrade needed to be clearer. I think it's, it's, it's as simple as that for me. Uh, I don't think Raya's clearer of enough of an upgrade. I think that whilst he adds a lot of things there's deficiencies in his game that one could argue are a stronger points from Aaron Ramsdale or not necessarily weaknesses for Ramsdale it just doesn't it might have been difficult to massively upgrade in the summer but yeah yeah I think unless it was going to be that massive upgrade the signing was always going to have sort of long-term repercussions yeah and I think on that as well i i think it's first of all it's unbelievably challenging to massively upgrade on a keeper like aaron ramsdale because there aren't many better in the world than aaron ramsdale um that's still a fact i'll be honest he's still in my estimation a top 15 if not 10 keeper in the world um and you know, he was the world's most valuable keeper last year according to a lot of football metrics because of his age and his profile and his talent pool you know his ability right he's unbelievable um yeah i agree with you and you know even it kind of it manifests in every individual scenario it manifests in arteta discussing goalkeeper substitutions in a match where ramsdale starts but not bringing a peep about it when raya starts it's the fact that it was a loan deal in the first place yes I understand it's there for financial reasons and it's necessary that it's a loan deal with an obligation or an option to buy. But there's just been so much gray area around kind of, you know, the, the background of this deal and the importance on the club. And it's there's, very, yeah, yeah. Like there's ways that when you do a loan deal like exactly. this, you, you've got your mates at the athletic who you can tell, yeah, we fully intend to make this. Um, permanent which, and which i is, know yeah the, the implication with raya it has been the entire time it was going to be made permanent but at the same time i don't think that's enough you know i think even even just putting the freaking whole price tag on him would have been enough to really announce him as a clearer challenger to set up expectations differently it's been skewed from the start and the fact that neither keeper is necessarily covering themselves in glory at the moment is in no way helping um if you have anything else to say I would say it now. I also do just want to move on to one other tiny canon concern slash not that tiny uh, in that Takahiro Tomiyasu is injured for another three yeah. to four weeks. And we now have five functioning and fit defenders at the club, which is a little scary. I don't like yeah. it at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't have any more to add on, on that debate apart from uh, there's one man who looks like a big loser in all of this and... That's our manager who doesn't do very much wrong, but on this occasion he, he looks he's got a bit of pie on his face. Um and yeah, that, that I think that's the end of that bit. Um but yeah, Tommy's um if you haven't seen the news, 
uh, ladies and gentlemen. Tommy is out for four to, to six weeks, it looks like. Um, Was it four know, to six? I saw three to four, but maybe that's just yeah, optimistic. I think, I think um, oh. most of them are now saying that it's minimum four. So, um, yeah, that yeah. also means that we won't be seeing Tommy in an Arsenal shirt for about two months because he's then going off to play for Japan in, in the Asia Cup. So, yeah, this is um, far from ideal. Um, I think it's... The, I, I wrote an article on weloveyouarsenal.co.uk at the start of the year about how we were going to deal with the timber injury and some of you might have read it. I said, let's let's not worry too much. We've got plenty of options back there. Um, and that was sort of dependent on, on Tommy staying fit, which is something that you can't really depend upon, sadly. We saw a slight shuffle back there uh, and saw a bit of an insight into what life without Tommy as a as our sort of auxiliary fullback option would look like, and I can't say it looked great. Um, we've got Ben White on the right-hand side who it just isn't at his best defending in wide areas at the moment. It, it was clear when he came on against Wolves for Tommy and has been for for a little while and then Kivior is he's a centre back, he's not a left back. It's like City playing Cardio at left back. It's 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 it it's not what, what is meant to be going on there, even though, you know, some players can do it very well. He's he's not supposed supposed to be playing there. So yeah, we've got five players to cover four positions and then you've also got Zinchenko there who whilst he's a fantastic player to have in, in your team. Um, I think we've seen this season, it's been really useful to play for Zin, play, to play Zinchenko for 60, 70 minutes and then hook him so you know he's not going to make a mistake. So yeah, this is, a, this is a worry. And I mean, you know, that's, that's about all I have on that. I mean, it's simply a worry because of personnel. Um, but it's also a worry in the grand scheme of things because of the profiles that we are looking to bring in in January. Um, you know, the two big options have been that Arsenal are looking at a center forward and Arsenal are looking at a deeper lying midfielder. Um, and and we we have, you know, we don't want to rely on Thomas Partey in the stretch at all. And I'm really, really glad that we are not planning on doing that. And, you know, Eddie Nketiah is has gone off the boil a little bit and has not necessarily shown us that he, you know, he does this every season, but he's not necessarily shown us that he has everything uh, in his own hands right now. Um, he's just looked poor in his cameos that we've seen of late. And I don't know, man. Um, it's It's leaving a lot of work for us to do. And I think our technical team and our scouting department is upgraded from once it went from what it once was of course edu you know shout out just won the uh director of the year awards at the uh at the golden boy ceremony um named football's best sporting director and it's hard to argue with the evidence so do i see us likely to get fleeced for a player of low quality in january like we may have in previous years uh no no i do not but i am maybe worried that with timber we kind of had the player who fit the profile we were looking for perfectly, and it's going to be really hard to go out and find another player as quick and versatile and dynamic that we can see fitting in the squad, not just because we need another body back there for the next three months, but also because we 
you know, have plans for that player in the long term. It's yeah, like, no, I, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't say where you start looking like Chelsea with all their French center backs. Yeah, um, and I think the the few names that we have heard defensively have have been more of that Kivior mold, um, and we, we've seen with Kivior that. Maybe he didn't need it, and it was just a luxury that we had. But he needed that that spell to to really uh, sort of get used to the league. And you'd imagine if you're buying from somewhere like across the continent, um, a player who you know isn't going to cost an arm and a leg, a younger profile, whether they'll be able to contribute straight away, which is what we'd need because that's what Tommy is currently doing, um, or was doing before he got another injury. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. So, um, yeah, just everything crossed that the five defenders that we do have can uh, keep themselves fit for the next month. Um, it's going to be seven or eight games, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, let's just hope that, yeah, I mean, everything can stay okay back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not, um, not convinced. Nor am I. Uh, any other concerns before we talk about things that explode? No, I I, I did want to touch upon the Ben White stuff, but I, th- I think we we have. Um, and I think it will be something that I'd, I'll be interested to see how that storyline develops over the next month. And it, it's usually an argument I like to have with Alfie, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll wait till he's on to have that one. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's move on to the explosive moment and get into a more positive frame of mind because Arsenal did win yesterday. Oh, and uh, Man City dropped points today. So, uh, yeah, every reason I'm to sure be happy. I'm sure we'll talk about that given the Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, not so good that uh, their opponents are on fire because we play them at the weekend. But um, yeah, the explosive moment. I'm sorry uh, if you have anything else, Mac, but I, I very much doubt you do. It has to be yet another uh, last minute winner for the Arsenal. Um, and this is uh, scored by a guy who wasn't supposed to be scoring last minute winners for Arsenal, but he is that good that he has already scored two for us this season. He is he's picked up that that trait that that <laughs> the guy that he's so often compared to is sort of mastered over the course of the last year of, of being able to pick up clutch moments and that's Rodri and, and Declan Rice seems to have it in his locker as well. I mean, first of all, the the patience shown with this goal is just phenomenal. The the interplay between Zinchenko and Erdegaard on the edge of the box, finding the best angle, the floated ball in by Erdegaard is delicious. And the, the header might have taken a little deflection, but it's there's um, the 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 Luton keeper Kasinki. He's just never getting there. It's so far in that that right hand corner. Then the limbs, it, it it doesn't get much more explosive than that, does it, Mac? Uh yeah, I sorry, I, I was just taking time to collect myself because first of all, the hilarious shot of the limbs in the away corner just highlights how unreal that Luton ground is. It legitimately looks like a soccer Saturday set, if you remember back to the day. Like it's it's just like the tall walls and a little fan zone, and it is killing me. But, Lord, um, yeah, you're right. Kaminsky has no chance. It's a beautiful header. We, I spoke already about Martin Odegaard's impact late in the game, but 
really this is the first time maybe maybe ever I've seen him so forcefully take a game by the reins and just dictate every single moment in those closing dying uh, minutes. It was just masterclass from him, beautiful from Rice. You know, he he, he mentioned in his post-match interview that he was supposed to be on the edge of the box, but just said, fuck it, and went up and challenged. And it's a brilliant header. It's a brilliant goal. It's, a in my mind, a deserved win. Uh, we scuppered a few chances uh, that we probably should have scored. Havertz's header, Trossard off Saka's cross, the deflected shot, and a couple of other small moments. And, you know, it's vindication for so many reasons. It's, it, it's majesty. It's utter glory from Declan Rice. Um, and to do it against Manchester United was amazing, but to do it in a match like this where, you know, you really, he's just, he's stepped up and said, move out of the way. This is mine. You know, this is my spotlight. And at the end of the day, he wants all of us, uh, you know, Arsenal fans, Arsenal players, everyone to kind of share in that with him, which just shows the quality of the man as well as the player. Um, could not be more happy to have him at my football club. I really couldn't. But yeah, you know, despite the pints and the limbs and everything else, I think it's indicative of the drive and the fire that we have this season. We've scored late consistently. We've pinned teams in at the end. We've looked stronger at the end of games than we have at the beginning. These are hallmarks that we didn't see last season, you know, where we were quick starters and would often fizzle and need a late result to kind of keep momentum going. Um, this is a match that in so many other instances we would have drawn or even lost and possibly lost badly. And to, to show the true character of the team in that moment, I mean, this might be genuinely not even explosive moment of the match, but explosive moment of the season so far. I think I'm willing to say Yeah, that. it has to be. It has to be. And you wouldn't expect it to come at Luton away, but it has. That's that's the context of the game. The and and you can say like, oh, you know, this is a game Arsenal have to pick up three points in. And I think that's what makes it all the more important. Arsenal have to be picking up three points in every single one of these games against opportune opponents. They have to win. We can't afford to drop points there. Every single point in a title race is precious. So you you bet your ass I'm celebrating a last minute winner at Luton like we we've won the league because we we saw last season when we drop points in in games that we shouldn't have it it ends up costing you it can ends up biting you in the ass in the end so yeah just the way that we were so so patient in building up to the goal um, and you know I think that there's a really interesting debate which may be you know a bit more abstract that that maybe the next time we score our late winner we'll be able to sink our teeth into a bit deeper but whether this is sustainable but you know there's there's a certain team in Manchester who relied on scoring last minute winners for about 20 years and they they won a fair few titles um so it's something that good teams do and maybe we do it a bit too frequently but it, it's indicative of the belief that these players have and you know what, it won't just be our players that are thinking that we can do this, it'll be opponents as well. Opponents will be quaking in their boots, willing themselves over the the the, the, the sort of the final whistle and oftentimes they can't because we are just able to to get them with that, that, la that late psychological blow. 
And you see the ripple effects it sends around the league as well. You see the the clips all over social media of dejected neutrals. Neutrals being, you know, Spurs, Liverpool, City, United, Chelsea fans who just hate to see us doing well. And all they can say is they celebrate too much. And yeah, keep saying it. And uh, we're just going to do it more. Um, but Absolutely. yeah, there's... The, this is the uh i would agree explosive moment of the season so far it's yeah it's right up there with you know they 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 keep coming but it, it's another one that is just right up there and in my sort of arsenal lifetime in terms of just the 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 unbelievable nature of it the fact that the the, the clock has already gone 96 and and we're and we're still ebbing and flowing and and yeah it, it just, it's it's just an unbelievable moment and one that yeah we we seem to have so many of these moments that that wouldn't even fit in movie scripts and it it it, it it's fantastic um yeah just hope that um yeah we we don't need one this weekend in in what will be a will be a very difficult fixture and one that we did need a last minute winner in last season yeah um before i move on to villa which i will briefly uh i do want to talk about a couple of other moments seen a lot of discourse about kivior's potential red uh for a challenge on ross barkley it's utter nonsense he's fouled in the build-up he wins the ball cleanly he steps on his foot and spurs fans are trying to do the granite jaka thing where they're like oh if that was kuti romero you know, he would be suspended. Yeah, if it was Cootie Romero, it would have been off 30 minutes before because he's an idiot, mate. Uh, when, never, when was this? This was the one where he was, it was checked for a penalty for the foul on Kitty. Oh, my God. And everyone's bringing it he up. Kicks like, towards him. It's it's one of them where yeah it's one of them where Kivior passes the ball and then Barkley extends a leg trying to win it and gets stepped on. His fault. Sorry. Uh, the other is of course the the two armed you know bell rope yank on Gabriel, who I think might honestly get fouled in the box once a match off of a corner or a set piece, and it's just never spotted. Um, I think he should just put more Daglo on his teeth, and maybe they'll uh, you know check it out. On to Villa, though. Sam. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and on Villa, I do want to start with their result today. They did just beat Manchester City at Villa Park. They have won their last 14 matches at Villa Park. The last team to beat them there was Arsenal. Um, yeah. It's a fortress. It Isn't is it a just... fortress. And it's a fortress to the point, Rob, where I just want to read out two simple statistics. Shots from this match, 22-2 to two in favor of Aston Villa. Shots on target from this match, 7-2 to two in favor of Aston Villa. They had less possession and fewer passes. That doesn't matter. They were more accurate. They were significantly better in all phases. I watched a majority of this match, and City looked lethargic. Villa looked electric. Yes, it took world-class performances from Leon Bailey, uh, Bubakar Kamara, and uh, Douglas Louise. The three of them had the best performances they've had this season. Leon Bailey might have played his best match in a Villa shirt ever. Uh, John McGinn also missed a sitter that he should have scored to make it two. Ollie Watkins got into great positions. Villa are really scary. And I remember I wanted to chat about them a bunch during our Schadenfreude podcast a few ago. Uh, and the rep in them is that if they concede early, they're terrible at making comebacks. Uh, and if they play away from home, they tend to fall quite easily. 
but at home in front of the Holt end, they are monstrous. And this is genuinely a test. They are currently above Manchester City on merit in the Premier League this season. This, this, is, this is a huge game. It's, it's huge. a big, big, big game, especially with Liverpool, who sits second on the horizon. Yeah, it's looking like a Arsenal-Liverpool title race at the moment. Not sure who that Man City team is. I don't know why they keep trying to force their way into the conversation, to be honest. But... Um, yeah, this game is absolutely massive. And whilst I was delighted to see City drop points, it makes me all the more scared to go there. Um, Villa do have weaknesses, though. Um, it's just the fact that they're... they're Undoubtedly. Uh, yeah, they're um, a lot more difficult to see at Villa Park, as you alluded to there, Mac. Like, against Spurs, like, first 10, they were all over the place like um, and this was a, a a very uh sort of changed up spurs team as well and they did manage to get the win that day but that that's more down to you know spurs's injury problems that they have at the moment and you know notorious bottling um so whilst um yeah whilst it's going to be a, a tricky one and, and one that that we 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 can win um yeah, it's one that I'm I'm really scared for. <laughs> I'm not yeah, gonna. I'm, I'm very very nervous. Not not gonna sugarcoat it. So uh, yeah, I guess we'll just leave it. Leave you, ladies and gentlemen, with that. And uh, yeah, see you on the other side because it it's it's a scary one. Grief. <laughs> yeah, uh, not often will uh, we leave it on a cliffhanger like that. But I think that's about all we can do because whilst we know Arsenal are good enough to beat this side and we go into it much stronger than City did today. They were without Rodri and they played a midfield of Stones and Lewis, which is... Yeah. Did, John, um, did Stones play? Did yeah, John yeah. Play? Stones played a midfield Fair. with, with, with Rico Lewis. It's a testament to how unbelievably poor he was that I didn't notice him playing and I'm yeah. John Stones' biggest fan. So... <laughs> yeah. But... Um, but um, yeah, hopefully uh, we're euphoric uh, speaking to you probably on Sunday. Uh, but yeah, it'll, it'll be an interesting one. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll bring you all our thoughts on it on Sunday. But uh, before that, uh, we'll give you some, some marketing opportunities of a lifetime and then we'll uh, bid you farewell for this one. And we'll make sure because it's us to leave, to leave you with... Um... Actually, we won't. We'll do a rice, no, rice we, baby we, today. Yeah, I think we have to, don't we? Yeah. Uh, sort of, yeah. Sad because we do love a lad at all hang, uh, us two. But I do uh, anyway, think, what's, I what's your marketing we, opportunity? Uh, marketing opportunity of a lifetime. We love you, uh, And check out both of us at MacJohnson22152 and at AFC Blogger 49 on Twitter, never to be called X. Uh, and a second marketing opportunity of a lifetime is it's such a random one. I'm not sure if you guys talked about it on the last podcast. I want to talk about youth player usage and just the fact that we have a very sneaky crop of players coming up. Uh, Miles Lewis, Skelly, kind of, you know, MLS, a brilliant name for a footballer among them. Um, you know, he he posted on Instagram about being patient and waiting for his time and I think there will be a time soon when we see him in the Arsenal side on merit. Yeah, exactly. I'm excited for it. Um, so yeah, just he's, he's one to watch. Um, and I say that 
having watched more of him in the past year than I ever have. Um, I've really tried to tune in when I am able to to see him play, and he he just impresses me. So uh, it's and not that I'm hard to impress, really. I quite like watching football, but uh, he especially impresses me. So yeah, play 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 football vaguely well and. Mac Johnson, among among others, including myself, will will be pleased. Uh, unless you're wearing a Tottenham Hotspur kit, um, let's uh, let's give one myself. I'm gonna give uh, a shout out to to we love you Arsenal.co.uk. Uh, and to this podcast. Just please please keep listening to it, uh, liking and and sharing and like. You know, it'd be great if you could actually like talk to people about it and say that you like it. I find that I actually that's actually like one of the like main ways I I find myself listening to new new podcasts where my friends tell me about them. So please do tell uh, all your your cool uncles, as one Daniel Fenton used to say about it. Um, because yeah, we're working hard and we're getting a lot of content out for you uh, at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a real pleasure today. Anything to add, Mac? No, not much. Just that. Um... If this podcast gets 350 listens, I will post the shirtless picture of me on Twitter. So, right, the shirtless video. Of me hey, everyone needs to see that. Everyone, everyone needs, needs to, see, to it. see it. So, uh, share <laughs> yeah. with all your, your cool uncles, your best friends. If you've got any Arsenal supporting mates that are going to listen to this and laugh, or Tottenham supporting yeah. mates that are going to listen to this and cry, share it with all of them. Uh, that's all. Or if you're AFC Max 9, like, put it on your Twitter. Like yes. <laughs> and tag everyone under the sun. We love you, Max. <laughs> yeah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it has been a blast. Uh, as I said, we'll see you on the other side of what will be, a, am sure, a stressful weekend, but hopefully not too stressful. Uh, it's been a good week for the Arsenal. A fantastic win at Luton. And uh, yeah, this has been episode 193 of the Arsenal Cannon Podcast. Do like and share. I've been your host, Rob Worthington, joined by Mac Johnson, and we will catch you on the next one. Goodbye. I rock a mic like a vandal Light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle Dance, crush a speaker that booms I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom Deadly, when I play a dope melody Anything less than the best is a felony Love it or leave it, you better gain weight You better hit bullseye, the kid don't play If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it I'm on a roll, it's time to go solo Rolling, in my 5.0 Put my rag top down so my hair can blow The girl is on standby, waiting just to say hi Did you stop? No, I just drove, I kept on Pursuing to the next stop I bust a left and I'm heading to the next block The block was dead, yo So I continue to A1A Girls were hot, wearing less than bikinis Rock men lovers, driving Lamborghinis Jealous, cause I'm out getting mine Shade with the gauge and vanilla with the nine Ready the chumps on the wall, the chumps acting ill because they're full of eight ball. Gunshots ranged out like a bell. I grabbed my nine, all I heard was shells falling on the concrete real fast. Jumped in my car, slammed on the gas. Bumper to bumper, the avenue's packed. I'm trying to get away before the jack is jacked. Police on the scene, you know what I mean? 
They passed me up, could run it all the dope beats If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it Yo, man, let's get out of here. Word to your mother. Ice, ice, baby, to 